I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. Welcome to another edition of the Lost of Words DFS podcast. I'm joined as ever by Matt Vincenzi. Matt, hello. Hey Tom, how did your matches week go? It was okay. It was uh, up and down. I think the I've, I don't think I've ever regretted so much. I think so much in my life is pivoting off Scotty Scheffler for Justin Thomas. Um, that sucked. So you know we we get used to those kind of beats. Um, Thomas did everything that you kind of expect him to do. Right, he panned the greens and he just doesn't. I don't know. It's not there for him at the moment. And uh, potentially another Rory McIlroy situation, I think, at Augusta with Justin Summers. I think both of them could end up uh, with that kind of opening round issues. So it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. But um, I was pretty tough on Rory on Twitter after his closing 64. It kind of felt like a nothingness. And they were saying how good his round was. And I go back to think of like... Webb Simpson, Cantlay and Finau all doing it on Saturday in 2019 and no one really caring that much because it was in a weather split or whatever. But I think they had the same opportunities to win, right? If anything, they've at least got a whole round to do it. He was, he had to shoot like a 59 to really have any sort of chance. Otherwise, Sheffield would have just upped his game, right? Yeah, 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 totally. I thought, um, and I know he was excited and he was in the Masters, so I, and the, the crowd was really into it, but I thought that the celebration was a little over the top too, like, <laughs> I mean, if, if that was to win the tournament or to get yourself in a playoff or even give a chance at a playoff, everyone knew that that wasn't going to do it. It wasn't going to do it. No, I, I yeah, I agree. I, I don't mind the celebration, right? It's fine. But it's just, it's one of those ones where, like, there was, unless he thought that was going to be good enough to give him a chance, like, but that was really, right. really thinking that Scheffler was going to leak some oil down the back nine. And um, despite his best attempts to, Four putting on the final green, he was pretty comfortable. So, um, dominating performance by him. Someone said to me that it was kind of like a freak performance for Scotty Scheffler. I don't really agree with that. I think it was just good, and it was very good and consistent. But I don't think it was a freak performance, right? I think like the first day he was two off the lead. The second day, he obviously shot a. He was quite clear. He was obviously five clear after the second day. But you know, they weren't rounds. His his second round was matched by Justin Thomas, so the score was out there. His third round was just a 71, which was beat by a couple of guys there as well, matched by Rory McIlroy. So there was nothing exceptional about his weekend play. It was just he'd put himself in a good position to start with. Yeah, and it was just steady, and that's one thing that you didn't see with all the rest of the golfers. Everyone at least had a bad round um, for the most part, and then a lot of times when he got into trouble, he was always missing in the right spots, and then when he... He was making those eight, ten-foot par putts, which, you know, throughout the course of his career, was not the guy I thought he was. But I was wrong about that, and he and he has been just—he's been nails with those par putts and those par saves and the getting up and down, and that's what won him the tournament. Yeah, it, it was those putts where you think, okay, this is huge, and every time you said this is huge, he made it. And yeah, I do think Ted Scott being on the bag was was significant, right? I think there was a shot on three, was it three, where he, he chipped in uh, on the final yep. day. That was Ted Scott, right? He told him to drive it into that bank. Um, yes, it could have raced past and we could have been a completely different story, but I'd have trusted him to make it coming back as well. So, um, yeah, really, really good performance. You say sort of people had bad rounds. I'd say that Corey Connors and even Shane Lowry to an extent were pretty solid throughout the week. It's just Lowry decided to have a couple of disastrous holes more than anything else. Um, yeah, I mean, I was thinking on Sunday, you know, and you and I are both on him, so he missed a... Early seven-footer on one. Uh, I think he missed a five-footer uh, um, 
on one of the par fives, and then he made triple. So in reality, he when he finished at four under, he truly could have been eight or nine under. Yeah, yeah. I mean, literally triple bogey in a par three is is criminal, right? We saw it with Xander Schauffele in twenty nineteen or twenty twenty. Um, no, it's twenty one, wasn't it? But it, you know, I just think there was it was closer than than the scorecard suggests. Like there, things could have happened. Like Cam Smith could have made a run. He was right there. At, even after yeah. the 11th hole, he was right there, right? So I don't think this, I think it's overblown that Scotty Scheffler had this like out of ordinary performance. It was very, very good and it was classy and he did everything you want from Master Champion. But I, I just don't, I think we're kind of making excuses for other people by saying he was out of this world. It's not like Dustin Johnson where he went and shot 30 under par or whatever it was um, in, is it TBC Boston where even with Scheffler shooting a 59, he couldn't even contend, right? It's, it wasn't like that. It was it was just a very well put together four days that not everyone could manage. Yeah, you know, I caught a lot of flack on Twitter because I said on Friday night it wasn't over, yeah. and it wasn't. It was not. It wasn't over, and at no point was it over until, you know, I guess that birdie bogey swing on whatever it was when Cam made bogey and, and Scotty made birdie. Um, once he cut it to one, but it wasn't over. Just because he won doesn't mean that it was over on Friday. It means. He still. I didn't say he wasn't capable of winning the golf tournament. I said it wasn't over then, and it wasn't. There was still, like you said, Shane was really in the mix until a couple of bad holes Saturday. Cam got back in the mix. You know, Rory got somewhat close. It, it wasn't over. I just think he did enough to maintain the separation. I mean, look, five shot lead at the, okay, going into the weekend, and people don't lose from there, right? Normally, but this was a guy that's not, you know, not won a major before. We're not talking about like a a Tiger Woods having a five-shot lead. We're talking about, you know, Scotty Scheffler in, in new territory. Um, obviously won a lot recently. And I think I think the shortness of his world number one status has actually helped. I think if he'd been on world number one for two or three months, maybe the pressure gets cranked up another notch. I think he's just not had enough time to process it all, that he's just riding this hot wave, right? But yeah. I agree. I don't think it was over. I don't think it was over until probably 12 when Cameron Smith dunks it into the water. And then I think once he started completely falling apart... Um, you know, that was it, because he was the only one that was in Scheffler's face. Like, Rory was, okay, you could hear the roars and you could hear him making a charge, but he was nowhere near him, really. Um, and, and maybe if he was in the group with him, it might have been different, but uh, once Cam Smith was just pulling it everywhere, I think he was fine. So, um, last topic, I guess, was Tiger Woods. Good to see him back. Good to see him make you through the cut. Obviously, successful for you. Um, I disagreed with the notion that he was only going to be there if he could win, and I think I was kind of proven right. Well, I, I, you can't ever say that, but I think, it, in my opinion, I still hold the same opinion that he he knew he couldn't win because the way he responded to all the interviews, uh, to, to the bad putts that he had on Saturday when Amanda interviewed him, like he just kept joking and laughing the way he was talking with kids and the way he was talking with Ram. Like, I don't think an ultra-competitive Tiger was that think he's there to win having a bad weekend would allow him to laugh and joke like that. I think he was just grateful to be there, enjoyed the fan support, was glad to get through 72 holes and uh, targeting the open now. So what do you think his, his motivation was for playing? I just, I, just th- I just think he's so fed up of being at home. I, I just, I just mm-hmm. think he's been at home for, what, 17 months now? Um, uh, 14 months, sorry. He hasn't played golf for 17 months. Um, enjoys Justin Thomas's company. He can go out and do that and Fred Couples in a practice round enjoys the attention being on him i don't think i think that's the only the next step in his life is to be happy without golf and if he ever gets to that then i think we won't see him because i i think the only reason he was out there was just because he just can't cope with not being 
not even in the limelight. I don't think he actually necessarily wants the attention, but I think I think he just wants to be amongst it. He wants to be competitive and have a scorecard in his hand. But at no point do I think he thought he could win. Yeah, and what you based on what you said there, and I think it's sad reality. I mean, it's all great, happy stuff, but he'll never be happy without golf. It just, no. It's been conditioned in his brain since he was two years old, and that's who he is, and he can pretend it isn't, but it, it, he'll never be happy without it. And I think the thing is as well, like there's, there's people, and you know, I, I'd love to see him win again. Like, don't get me wrong, I'd love to see Tiger Woods win again. If he can, great. Uh, do I think he can? Don't know. Depends where he plays. But like people are just like, well, when he plays St Andrews, he's won there twice, and it's a flat course, so he can do it. It's it's nothing about flat and hilly. And that guy's leg, he said it in the interview. He was like, it starts really stiff, then it warms up, and the adrenaline gets going, and then I get tired. And then he's in a world of pain after every single round. My opinion, if he's been, in, if he's still that hurt after 14 months of rehab, is it going to get any better, or is this just what he's going to be? And he's just going to play painful golf. We see the guys. It's not the same as a Freddie Couples or people that have bad backs, and you know. But there is age. You know, age is a factor now. He's approaching 50, wear and tear on his body, way too many injuries and surgeries and things like that. Um, and this leg might be the one that actually cost him rather than the back and stuff that he's had before. Yeah, I think for the most part, you're right. I mean, I'm not going to say he can't. I know you're not saying he can't either. No. But I, th- I think the the realistic view is what you're saying, yeah. I, I don't want to say no because I think people think I'm... I think the way my content last week came across is that I wanted him to fail and and I, you know and it was never that it just, it just felt to me that like like you made a to make the cut bit right and I was like that's mm-hmm. absolutely fine like yes he can make the cut but my reasoning for that was it's an easier cut to make than any other cut like if he gets caught in a bad weather turn at the open does he necessarily get through that I don't know you know just because it's a flat course and he knows links golf I don't necessarily think that so um yeah, I think overall, I think it was a success. Like I deem it as a success. Making the cuts great. Enjoying the process was great. So um, I'm happy for him, happy for us that we got to see it. And uh, I don't think there's much else to say on the Masters unless you've got anything. Yeah, uh, the one thing I'm going to say, and I'll, I'll bring it back to our DFS here, is yeah. uh, Scheffler and Smith and killed me all year, so they, they took me out of the Masters too. So that, yeah. that's what it is. Uh, but, <laughs> but I think the thing is, right, you know, you had to take a stance and... and we thought about it and I was a little bit more ready to go with Scheffler than you were and but not I wasn't utterly convinced either I thought you know we could build a car with DJ and Kepka and things like that Kepka was a massive lit down Shoffler was a massive lit down for me and I went heavily on Justin Thomas and it just didn't work like but the process is you know you can only deal with the information you've got like there there was nothing necessarily to I know he'd won four in six but there's nothing to suggest he was going to run away with the Masters there was nothing to suggest that you know, Cameron Smith was definitely going to finish second or third or fourth or whatever he was that he finished in the end. Like, Lowry, I thought, was obvious to make that kind of charge. Like, he's been playing so well. Rory McIlroy does what he does at the Masters. You know, it, it came courtesy of one round. You can't predict a Brooks Koepka and Xander Schauffele to miss the cut. Like, it just... I know they're more volatile. Well, Koepka's more volatile. Schauffele's uh, not, right? Like, Schauffele is you deem as solid and I think that was the biggest disappointment for me was him missing that cut because he's been slightly off of it in terms of contending for titles and now if he's going to miss cuts that's maybe a little bit more alarming as well yeah no, not not good from X I, I had uh, nothing on him but I had, I had a lot of Brooks and I thought you know we said it's kind of a volatile play but in majors it really hasn't been no uh, even even when he was seemed to be that he wasn't healthy at Kiowa 
finished in what second? I don't know if he ended up falling to third or what, but he was in the final group with Phil. Um, so it just, yeah, it was shocking to see. It. And the, the uh, he's been getting progressively better at Augusta. There was nothing that showed me that he wasn't going to have a good week. So, uh, but if you didn't have Smith and Scheffler, it doesn't matter anyway. So we move on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just on Brooks before you know, it's a volatile play, like you say, week to week, but maybe not so much in majors and. Even like even for those first two days, it looked like he was going to play well, right? He had he had moments where he could have definitely made it. And he just rattled off a couple of really bad bogey stretches. So, um, you know, again, it is what it is. It's we'll move on from that. Let's go to the RBC Heritage, which is a really good event. I really like the RBC Heritage. Um, you know, it maybe suffers a little bit with where it is in the calendar, but we've got a good field here. Um, JT's eleven one hundred, Cameron Smith ten thousand eight hundred. DJ 10.5, Morikawa 10.2, Cantley 10. So that's your guys at 10k and above. Um, I think Dustin Johnson's going to win again soon. And I don't know if he's here because it's not a course that he's historically contended at, although he makes a cut every time he plays here. Um, but I, it would be between him and Morikawa for me because Smith, I think, is the only one of these guys that is really going to suffer from what happened on Sunday. Uh, JT, I just don't need to be playing maybe i'm just going to get burnt by him but that's fine uh, and patrick Cantley looks off of it as well yeah uh some good points there the thing with dj is um i feel like his you know we talk about hidden course form i think he kind of has hidden poor course form yeah there because you look at his finishes and they don't look that bad on the surface but the majority probably five out of the seven times he's played this he was far and away the best player in the field probably eight to one uh in the betting market and he's finished like 30th or 27th so um it's just not a great course for him especially right now i know he can club down a bit but he seems a, a little bit uh lost off the tee it's like even when he's good for a while he'll bet he'll just put one you know 60 yards right and uh you'll say where the hell did that come from <laughs> and uh, yeah so i don't love him at this course um but with dj he can win anywhere he's uh, he's you know he's course proof when he's on and he's shown signs of it so i wouldn't be surprised i'm with you on jt um, ideally a pretty good spot. My one guy up here, although I'm not sold on playing anybody from up here. Yeah. Uh, cause I, I think this is a place you can get away with that at. Even look at that, that loading field back in 2020, the, the, the leaderboard was the guys you'd think it was Webb, Berger, answer like, yeah. uh, Sergio. So, and that was a loaded field. So I think you can get away with not playing these guys and I might not, but if I had to pick one, it's Morikawa because he's one of those guys, those plotters, those sharp iron players, those accuracy off the tee, the guys who've done well here, he's them on steroids. No, I agree with that. And I think, again, he's like I said about it's the, the complete inverse to what I just said about Cameron Smith. Like, he benefited from a really good weekend, right? Like, he, he played really well on the final day, seemed to, you know, have his best round at Augusta. I know, you know, me saying to Roy McIlroy is a criticism that he just fired it, went out of contention. It's the same applies to Colin Morikawa, but it shows that his game's in a decent place. He was second after 54 holes here last year. Going back to Dustin Johnson on that hidden course form, though, 2018, he was actually, or 2019, I think it was, he was actually the leader after 54 holes and just had a fine around 77. So um, completely get what you're saying. He, he often comes into this as the best. And I think you're, I'm trying to guess someone's motivation here, but normally I think he's an RBC guy, so he just has to play here for the RBC factor. But I, I generally just think he now is building towards we need to win. And, and yes, the... The, the driver is a worry. Like, he was terrible with the driver and actually had to just stop using it, which is not good. But like you say, if he's going to be able to club down anywhere, it's here. Um, so th that would be why I would play him, hoping that he's not as popular. I guess he probably still will be as he's Dustin Johnson. But 
Um, yeah, I think the safest play up here is Colin Morikawa, I would agree. Yeah, and if you look at ownership-wise, um, Morikawa is looking like 16 17%. The rest of the guys are between 10 and 12 pretty spread out um, with the other four. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I can completely see what that is. Then we've got Shane Lowry, 9-8, uh, Corey Connors, 9-7, Daniel Berger, 9-6, Matthew Fitzpatrick, 9-5, Sung J M 9-3. Let's stop there for now and split these 9Ks up slightly. Um, Shane Lowry's got a small window now, I think, where he needs to take advantage of win. Uh, he is my main outright betting selection this week. So I assume he's going to be... I said to you the other day, he's going to be 85% this week. So, you know, I was obviously joking, but... He's going to be popular, right? And and probably for good reason. Yeah, he's going to be pushing 20%. Uh, I imagine, I'll, I'll say he'll be the highest owned player on the slate. Yeah. It looks like most people, I mean, I said all those guys besides Morikawa between 10 and 12% owned. If you look at above 10K, that's all pretty, very low. It looks like the majority of people are going to try to start their lineups with Morikawa or Shane um, and go from there. And I, I agree with you. I like him a lot. Um I didn't bet him. I was very close. It was between him and the, the other guy right below him, Connors, for me. I ended up choosing Connors because I got a little bit of a price. And um, But I want to be kicking myself because I've been on Shane for the last three or four weeks, and it would suck to see him win after I'm off. But I think he's very safe. Um, he's Obviously, his form is trending. You, you do worry a little bit about the approach numbers from last week, but I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he uh, had a couple. He got wet a couple of times, uh, a couple of those blow-ups, and that really can influence your stats. Yeah, the way just watching him, the way he played was absolutely fine. Like there was no nothing alarming to me apart from obviously the blow up holes. If anything, it was the the mental state and the kind of debates that he was having with his caddy were more alarming than anything. But I think that's just something that uh, Augusta can bring out in you. I don't I don't think there's any reason to pull the the panic shoot just yet. Uh, Corey Connors, I, I don't know what to do with Corey Connors because he's playing very very well again. Um, obviously evidenced by uh, the Masters and the WGC. Just, I don't know. There's something about Connors where I'm assuming he's going to be reasonably popular. Um, I know he finished fourth here last year, 21st of the year before that. So there's every, again, there's a very good reason to be. Like he's through 36 holes, he was second in 2020. Uh, last year he was second through 20, uh, 36 holes again. Uh, shot a 72 on Saturday, which kind of let him down. But again, 68 on Sunday, and, and I think Connors has probably taken another step right i think he's probably actually gone so if, if you're not worried too much about ownership i think starting your your lineup with with larry and connors would actually be really interesting yeah it's, it's something i might do um but if like back to the ownership thing if you look at it the first four guys in the 9k lowry connors burger fits are all four of them are higher than anyone in the 10k besides morikawa and it's it's almost all of them so it's that's going to be very popular to do um Connors for me, and I never bet Connors. I never play Connors ever, and I just think something about him this week. It just feels trending. It feels like one of those guys I never play, and I'm gonna end up on the sidelines watching. And I just felt that coming. Like 70, 73, 72, 70 at Augusta was just so steady, and he does exactly what you want him to do here. He, um, strategic golf. He he can put the ball where he wants to put the ball on the fairway, especially on a shorter course. And greens and regulation have been a huge indicator here. He's first in his past 24 rounds in this field in greens and regulation. So I just think he's going to hit every green. And the putter has been really coming around. Match play, it was great. That was the shocking part of it. And then last week at Augusta, it was great. So I do think he's trending towards a win. The course history is encouraging. Um, so 
he's a guy you know i'm definitely gonna be playing a lot of yeah is there anyone that you would necessarily avoid i thought i was going to avoid Fitz, but his course history is very very good he's obviously playing very very well on top of that not great augusta last week but if i was going to avoid it on this 9k range and we'll, we'll expand it down now to, to obviously russell henley at 9k flat and bring in spieth neiman as well um I would I would get rid of Berger and Spieth for me. I, I'd just I'd just take him out. I don't think Berger's playing as well as he was. I know he was ball striking was brilliant for near on two years, one of the best in the world with his irons, but just seems to be off of it at the moment. Yeah, so this is where we're going to disagree because I I love Berger. Um, he's probably my favorite play on the board. I bet him at twenty eight to one, and he's just given me um, Webb Simpson buys when he went here in twenty twenty. Like he's the type of guy who. He's not as good as the elite players in the field, but at this course, he's as good as them if he's on his game. And I, I agree with you. He hasn't been showing his game completely uh, lately, but it really isn't, hasn't been that bad either. Um, and if you look at his past 36 rounds, the course is under 7,200 yards. He ranks first in strokes gain total. It's just there's cert- He's just a very predictable player. There's certain courses that you can just rule him out, like last week. I was very happy to rule him out. And there's certain courses where you know he's going to contend. And I think this is one of the ones where you know he's going to contend. Um, and he hasn't had a great season, but he's finished in the top 20 in four of his six socks this year, two of them in the top five. Um, and I know the weekend was bad at Augusta, but I, like I said, it's not one of his courses. I don't think he can play that course very well. So I, I like him a lot this week. See, I always thought his form at Augusta was pretty sneaky, right? He'd had a top 10 there in the past. And, you know, he was 10th after round one, 23rd after day two. And I kind of thought, you know, what, what, where is Daniel Berger going to finish? And he shoots 77, 80, and that kind of sort of blew out alarm bells. And But then when you go past that, if you if you take the Augusta view that you take, which is absolutely fine, and you match play, just anything can happen, right? Then you, you look at his kind of last regular events, 13th for the players, 4th for the Honda. He missed the cut uh, Phoenix, I think it was, and then he was 20th at uh, Torrey Pines, which is not necessarily a great course for him either. When you start looking at it as a larger scope, then I, I do get it. Um, I just think I've got to take a stance somewhere. Um, and because he's 9,600 and, and I can have Lowry and Connors at similar prices, it, it doesn't. It actually doesn't feel right that Connors is more expensive than Berger. That's one thing I would say, especially on a golf course like this, because like you say, Daniel Berger on a short course, um, you know, we're a little bit coastal and, and irons come into play, then he is top tier i guess it is just uh you know situation dependent so maybe you're talking me into burger we'll come back to that but sung jm uh, i don't know what's still i get i guess it's really hard to to fade these guys because they're all going to kind of make up different lineups and things like that but i don't know what to think of sung at the moment i didn't i, I really didn't like his chances last week i, I really liked see kim as top asian obviously he played well um uh, finishing you know up there and a leaderboard but what would you do with Sungjae I mean his final round was fairly disappointing I would say at the Masters it wasn't horrific it was only 75 but is he playing I mean I just didn't think he was playing that well going in so the fact he finished 8th there was actually a surprise to me yeah I'm, I'm going to be fading Sungjae he is going to be one of the lower on guys if you look at you know kind of what he did prior to uh, the Masters you know a lot of it I thought was smoke and mirrors what he did at the Masters I don't think statistically he was any, did anything really impressive uh you go back the last couple of starts he has lost strokes on approach in three consecutive prior to the masters missed the cut at the honda which is a place you expect him to play his best golf and 
I just don't believe. I'm not buying it based on one week, and I'm I'm happy to fade him. Yeah, and look, he missed his first two cuts here, but then finished 13th last year. I think, I think the form isn't where it was at last year. He wasn't the Sung JM that we we think back to of 2021. So um, obviously he's already won on the season. Like you can't take anything away from the guy. He's so good. But um, just for now, I think if, you, if you've got to take a stance on 9K, which you're gonna to have to do at some point. Um, short short reasoning. I'm getting rid of Spieth. Um, and Henley, I'm guessing, is going to be very, very popular at 9K as well. He is. Real quick, I want to talk about Fitz. Like, I was considering betting him at 20 to two, but 22 to one. But it's just, it was so hard because you just, we've never even seen him get in the heat of the, uh, you know, the end of a final round. In, he, in, in he's, he's never had a chance. Like, and and I'm really impressed with the bank of form that he's putting on the PJ Tour this year. It looks brilliant. And you know, was it fifth, tenth, whatever? Like, you're just consistently inside the top ten. But it's never, never within a chance. You know, if we'd taken a stance that I've taken with Rory that he shoots his best golf when, you know, the pressure's off, he's never, you know, the only time I can think of, and it's not even recent memory, was when, um, at the Genesis last year, when Burns was the leader. He had he had a little period of time there where he could have been involved. And I can't think of another time, really, that he's had a real good chance of winning it. So, um, yeah, I, I like him. And I think he's he's brilliant for this format. In terms of betting numbers, I just couldn't I couldn't look at him as the same number as Shane Lowry and pass Shane Lowry up because actually when you look at what Shane Lowry's done in his career, it's actually phenomenal. Um, it's, it's really strange that he hasn't got those regular tour wins because major champion, WGC champion, wins basically the biggest events you can get on the European tour. So it's not even like he kind of flat tracks courses that he should win at. He, he's very, very good across the board. He probably just doesn't play... A big enough schedule to actually give himself as many chances as he probably should, and I think that's maybe what's changed this year. Yeah, when was Firestone? 2015. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, something like that. Yeah, it's been a while. I I would expect more. And I don't want to question whether he can win an event, but it just seems like he's had so many chances these past six or seven weeks that like sooner sooner or later these chances aren't going to be coming anymore. No, and and that's why I'm actually kind of keen. You're right. It was 2015. I'm kind of keen to get on in this week because I do think that window is closing because I don't think you can play this well for this extended period of time and not win without it. And, and you know, if you don't win without it not hurting you, because like we've seen it, with Russell Henley, like he's had a couple of opportunities to win, uh, hasn't got it. And it looks like it's affecting him. Scotty Scheffler had multiple opportunities to win last year. Didn't do it. And it affected him, especially at the, uh, at the Houston open. Yes. Okay. He's turned it around, but it's, it's not, it's taken a caddy change, it's taken an approach change, it's taken everything to kind of do those sort of things. Um, so, yeah, I think that, I think the window is definitely closing for Lowry. I, it's still obviously wide open for Fitz because he's never... We don't even know whether he'll struggle. That's that's the... I guess the unknown is actually what kind of appeals to people because we don't know he's actually going to have a bad experience uh, trying to contend because he's very, very good on the European tour when he's got a chance to win. Yeah. Um, um... I'm with you on fading Henley as well. I, I, I like him. He makes sense. Obviously, this he's popular for a reason. There's a place where he can go very well. But this is one of the pop, most popular guys in the slate. I just this other guys I'd rather play at half the ownership that are just a little bit cheaper than him that I think have a better chance to win. And I, I think it's always good to look at what Henley did when he first came out on tour because he, he kind of very quickly showed you where he was going to play well, right? Um, and he was, was he sixth on his debut. He was ninth here last year. Um, what he's doing this year isn't new. It's kind of like a resurrection of what he was 
um, you know, last year and, and even in the past. I mean, it was more putter focus, I think, in the past, whereas now that's kind of hurting him. He's always been in around the lead. Like, even when he was 26th, he was fifth after the first round. And when he was 23rd, he was eighth after 54 holes. But there's four missed cuts sandwiched in, in those as well. It's four and four. So, um, I, I think the range of outcomes is quite high for Russell Henley. And, you know, he didn't do anything particularly special. We never had a great round at, at the Masters last uh, last week. He was 17 in the final round, which he was a really sneaky... Well, he wasn't a sneaky play, was he? Like, people wanted him to be a sneaky play, and he wasn't. Like, everyone was on him. He was short in the outright mm-hmm. market. And it's actually quite interesting, because his odds were ridiculously low last week for the Masters, and you can get, you know, near enough the same uh, this week. So, if, if you wanted to bet Henley, I'd probably do it this week. But um, in terms of DFS, I'm just going to fade him. He's always overpriced in both. Like, why isn't he priced in the outright market with Horschel and Kisner? Yeah, well, I mean, like, even like that's for, Co-Crack and Nar. Beyond. Like, yeah. you know, I, the way I talk about Kevin Nar, I know you put a tweet out earlier about how popular he's going to be, but, you know, four wins since 2018. Mm-hmm. I sort of I sort of collated a list of players that, you know, have more wins than him in this field. And it's, you kind of basically got Cantlay, DJ, JT, Spieth, and a couple of others like that have got more than him since 2018. It's it's a very short list. Um, so yeah, I you know that we'll come on Zoom a bit more later on. But yeah, on the Russell Henley train, um, just just need to fade him in the you know betting doesn't matter. A thousand people can bet him and you win your money, right? So it doesn't matter. But for this, I'll uh, I'll go elsewhere. Webb's still hurt, I think. I think he's well, maybe not even hurt now, but just kind of still trying to sharpen his game. Uh, obviously made the cut last week. 35th was, you know, not bad for Webb at the Masters. Pair of 67s at the Valspar was obviously encouraging. What's his ownership looking like, Matt? High. Uh, yeah. Higher than I thought. 15, 15%, 16%. And I, I'm with you there. I think he's rounding back into form, but he's not ready to win yet. And if I don't think he's ready to win, I'm not going to play him. Well, it, it, to me, like, if, if, he, if people felt like he couldn't compete because he was injured and the ownership was down, I'd have taken a chance in like we did at the Valspar, I think it was, where he was, he was kind of coming in low-owned. Um, I'm just not going to do it here. Like, if, if the ownership's high, and yes, okay, he's obviously won here. He's got a second and a fifth. Like, he, he's very, very good on his golf course, and prototypical Webb is a contender here. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm not going to do it. Not a high ownership. So that takes you down to Billy Horshaw and Tyrrell Hatton, which is, uh, you know, they played with each other last week. Uh, similar characters, you know, stroppy, uh, vocal, what do you make of both of their chances? So, thinking about lineup construction here, and you and I are both, I think, on a similar page. I do think I'm going to fade most of the, uh, all the 10K, Morikawa maybe, but I'm leaning towards no. Um, so, that means we're going to be starting with some variation of Lowry, Connors, Berger, Fitz, right? Which is going to be very popular. Yeah. So, there's going to be come a point in that mid-range where you need to be a little bit different, and I think this is where you can get different. A lot of guys are playing between 88 and 9800 i think those mid eights um with the exception of norn are going to be are going to be relatively uh low owned so i think a great place to start is billy uh, i'm i'm a little bit surprised he's looking at nine percent owned which isn't all that much and i think uh he's playing very well right now and if you look at those the comp courses right you look at sedgefield where i think he has only one finish outside of the top 11 in his last five starts at sedgefield including yeah. second in 2020. And uh, match play, just a couple of weeks ago, he made a nice little run, won there last year. That's a Pete Dye course. Uh, so I think 
his strengths are really um, magnified here. And I think he's a guy, if he does get in the mix, I trust him that he's able to win. I thought 45 to 1 was a good price that I bet. And I, I'm going to be playing him um, this week. And he's 7 for 7 and made cuts this season. Naturally, on this show, we talk a lot about peak performance and having a whole package when it comes to winning golf tournaments. But you know who else focused on these two areas as well? Manscaped. Manscaped took their lawnmower 4.0 product and put it together with all the necessary components to make the Performance Package 4.0. Including this package is the lawnmower 4.0, the Weed Whacker, which takes care of nose and ear hair, the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver, which are essential for your balls, and two free gifts, including a premium wash bag and a pair of anti-chafing boxes. Now this set is normally $218, but is $130 for a limited time only, and with our 20% code LFW20, that will now be brought down even further to $104. In the UK, this will be £96 instead of £120, and again, the Performance Package 4.0 helps you and these elite golfers, if they so wish, stay in peak shape below the waist. That is code LFW20 for 20% off site-wide and free worldwide shipping on manscaped.com. Yeah, PGA splits 101 on Twitter. Billy Horschel's last eight events when playing the week following a major. 40th, 25th, 2nd, 9th, 19th, 45th, 11th, 5th. Strokes game per round in that time, 1.61. Current form, 43rd, 2nd, 16th, 6th, 11th. Strokes game per round, 1.87. Reed's really good for Billy Horschel. Like, he, he comes in yeah. after... And, and I think this is... I don't remember, obviously, outside of his is um, FedEx cut runs and things like that. I don't remember this consistency from him. Like, you know, you've got that, you've got that missed cut um, at the players, but, you know, just, just otherwise, it's just been rock solid, right? It, it's, yeah, I, I can't see anything against Billy Horschel really and truly. Like, I think everyone kind of thinks that he doesn't have that reliable skill set. And, and I get that. Like, there is times where he loses things on a week-to-week basis, but, Generally speaking, I think he's very reliable, especially when he's in this kind of form. Yeah, and if you look at, I mean, Henley's going to be 17, 18, 19% owned, and Billy's going to be 8, 9, 10. Yeah. Simple as that for me, and I think he has a better chance to win than Henley, and I think he's in in better or just as good form. Since Wentworth, he's been great. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's great. I, I think he's, I think he's absolutely fine. I, I like Horshaw a lot. And then that brings me to Tyrrell Hatton. Now, I, I think he's the sulkiest person in golf right now. Uh, I, th- I think it's terrible. I think his attitude's bad. It's gone from funny to irritating, in my opinion. Um, he was caught on the on the telecast, basically saying that Augusta sucks and he doesn't get rewarded for good shots. And I, th- I don't think that's true. I think you don't get rewarded for your stock PGA Tour and European Tour shot that you play. You get rewarded for good Augusta shots, and he didn't have them. Um, but if he can tell himself that that's why he struggled. And he's hitting the ball well in his head, and and actually he can flush his irons, and and that will work on target golf. Then his course record here: 29th, miscut third, 39th. And he had a good chance of winning it two years ago. I do think it's a quite a nice bounce back spot for Tyrrell Hatton. Yeah, you know it's funny uh, that story about uh, his his comments. I wrote a story on WRX about that yesterday, and it was the most viewed story I've written in 24 hours, <laughs> and. There was over 2,000 comments on the Facebook post from the from the page on it. People are just talking. All people love it. I think I think it's a big thing is that people um, get real pissed when they see millionaires complain, and uh, you can complain about getting a chance to play Augusta. So it it is an interesting aspect of it, and I like I like him a lot. He's looking at six percent right now. 
Maybe part of that is because people don't like him. I think part of it is because of his horrible form on the weekend at Augusta, and everyone it was there for everybody to see. Yeah. Everyone who was watching. But I also <laughs> yeah. think they don't like him. They don't want to play him. We talked about that with Westy last week. That was a good play. He yeah. finished in the top 20. Um, I, I, he's a good ownership pivot. I'm, I'm seeing 6% right now. I can see him winning this event. Yeah, I, I can. I mean, it, it, I just thought it was really ironic. I, I used to find him really funny, and, I've, and, and I like it, and I like how... I like that he's gone from like letting it bothering him, bother him and affecting his game to just brushing it off and getting on his next shot. I think Billy Horschel said it about him. He was like, I, "What I love about him is he gets really, you know, raging, and after you know one shot, he's done." And I do think he's got a short memory. I think he can lie to himself. I think he's sitting there going, "I'm not getting rewarded because this week he's going to think, you know, he's in decent form." And if that is the case, then uh, you know he's a good player. I mean, you can you can literally start your lineup: Shane, Lowry, Corey Connors, Cyril Hatton. Um, so obviously eat the ownership at the top two and take the six percent on Cyril Hatton, and you can leave yourself seventy three hundred for for the rest of the way. Which as we come into the seven k range and six k range, um, I think we can establish that that's not too bad of a salary amount to leave yourself. That's something I will very likely do in some form or fashion. And um, like simple as this, I'm taking Billy in Hatton at nine percent and six percent over Henley in Webb at seventeen and fifteen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's very yeah. Basically, you can put it like that. Um, I know Noren's going to be decently popular, and, and I kind of get it. I prefer Siwoo Kim at eighty four hundred. I do as well. I bet Siwoo. I like Siwoo better. I think the ceiling is higher. I think Noren makes a lot of sense for this course. Um, obviously, he you know has some has some good form here and at similar places. But I haven't seen him contend since 2016, 2017. Like, w- what makes people think he's going to all of a sudden go and win a golf tournament? It, I don't get it. I've not seen anything from Noren apart from consistency, which he's generally been known for anyway, right? Like it's not, it's not a new Noren. Like we're not talking about, not even talking about what Fitz has been doing, where he's getting up there and not contending. He's not even getting that close. It's kind of middling finishes. Um, you know, I think he's safe. Like if you want someone mm-hmm. safe that's going to get you through the cut, you know, tied fifth, tied sixth, Honda and Phoenix, twenty-six to play as well for the Valspar, but never, you know, he's never shot better than sixty-eight in that span on Sunday. In fact, he hasn't shot better than 68 all season uh, on Sunday, which you know, doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it would mean... It would be more meaningful if he was in position and shooting 68 on Sunday to, to win. He's shooting 68 when he needs to climb up a leaderboard and not going quite as far as he needs to. So, um, yeah, I I wouldn't say I'd go fading Norum because I don't think you particularly need to. If you like him, you like him, right? But um, I much prefer Siri Kim. I think the... It was a back and forth week last week, like 39th finish in the end. But he had multiple chances where he was inside. I was tracking him quite a lot. He could have been inside the top 10. He could have been 40th like he was, right? It was it was very up and down. 13th for the Valero, 26th for Bay Hill. Uh, 11th place finishes back-to-back at the Amex and the, the Farmers. Started the season off well as well with, um, you know, 11th and 8th place finishes. Seems to be like he's just outside the top 10 basically every week. And it's one or two shots here and there. And, you know, we talk about Pete Dye, like... Siwoo Kim is Pete Dye. All three of his wins have come on Pete Dye courses. He's obviously got that um, you know, playoff loss here to Satoshi Kodaira. I, I think he's actually really safe, which is not something I normally attribute to Siwoo Kim. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm, I was shocked to see, one, not many people back in the outright market when I bet him. I was like, everyone's going to be betting it, but I'm going to bet it anyway. I'm not really seeing that happening, for one. And two, um, DraftKings ownership, he's looking at around 8%. Nor- Norn's 15%. Norn's having doubled the ownership <laughs> at Siwoo on a Pete Dye course that he almost won at. 
he should have won it. He's had three wins and three playoff losses. He could be a six-time winner on the PJ Tour at 26. Like, and I know you can't just give people playoff losses as wins. That's not how golf works, right? But the fact he's even had that many real opportunities. We talk about with Fitz and Norren, real winning opportunities. He's had that, and he's been in other positions as well without outside of those kind of uh, playoff losses. I think he's, you know, crazy. Again, you can, you know, you said about ignoring that 10K range. You can actually go... Lowry, Connors, Hatton, Siwoo, and leave yourself 67, 6,800 for the last two slots. Like, there's enough people in the 6K that we'll get to that I, I actually quite like that build. So um, that's another way that I'll probably end up going. Um, very quickly, power through the rest of these uh, 8Ks here then. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood, Kevin Kisner, Chris Kirk. Have a little bit of interest in Kisner. Uh, Fleetwood, I think, is actually kind of cheap, but probably quite popular. I don't know. You've got the numbers there in front of you, but... If he's not popular, I think he's a decent play. I, I'm with you. Uh, he's not popular. And I think he's a great play. I tracked him a lot. I had a top 10 on him last week, and he came 12th or whatever, 13th. But um, So I was tracking him a lot, and a lot of the times he was had eagle opportunities. He drove the, drove the green on, on three on Sunday, three putt. He, had, he hit the green in two on a couple of par fives and three putt. Um, his putting wasn't great, but his ball striking seems to be back. Uh, and he gained the most strokes off the tee, uh, as many as he had uh, since he contended at the Open Championship. Well, you want to say contended, but he was kind of far away from Shane. But that week, and that was, that, that was one of his best weeks off the tee, and he's, he's been doing that. So I think there's so many good signs that he might be getting into form. Can he win? No, I don't think he probably can. But um, 8200 I think that's a good price. And then uh, Kisner. I, I'm probably going to play him. He's way less popular than I thought. I'm seeing 8 9%. Yeah, I mean, I, anything like that for Kevin Gisner is absolutely fine. I think there's I think there's higher winning upside, actually, with Kisner than there is Fleetwood. I think there's higher upside yes. uh, with Kisner than there is Norrin. I think there's higher upside with, with Chris Kirk. Any Basically, anyone besides maybe Billy Horshaw, I think he's probably got the same upside. And Siwoo Kim, I guess. Um, Chris Kirk, I, I'm not really that bothered about. Um, but yeah, Fleetwood's an interesting one. I'm normally generally quite down on Fleetwood, but 8200 seems like a nice price the way he's playing. Um, 7K, guys, let's just actually just talk about guys that we actually definitely want to play. Um, Jason Kokrak and Kevin Nahr start this for me. Uh, I actually thought Kokrak 1 is very cheap, which I'm guessing, again, every time I think he's, someone's going to be high owned, you tell me they're not. Um, but he was 14th last week at the Masters. Not great at the players, but two 26th place finishes the weeks before that. Um Probably a lot of lit a few people down at the Valspar, which maybe keeps people off. But I think Kokrak's being overlooked a little bit. Yeah, there, there, are, there are five guys in this area who are getting all the ownership. He is not one of them. Uh, he's going to be pretty low owned, around the five percent range. One concern with him, I know he's been playing all right, but I thought you know this the whole Saudi thing might have been a bit of a distraction for him because right when that news started coming out, he started playing pretty poorly. So do you think he's over that, or is it not not a concern? I just don't care. Like yeah. I, I, I think it's like. He's one of those people that if it, if it happens, that's great. He's going to make a shit ton of money. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, right? I think, you know, I, I do think there was an element of that. I think it was a bit of like a, oh, God, look what's happening to Phil. Look what's happening to Westy. Look what's happening to Bryson. That I'm going to catch them flack in a minute. Um, and then he didn't, really. I just no don't one think, I don't, no one cares. No one cares. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and, and that's probably quite, like, he might take that a little bit offensively, but he, it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to him because it means he can just go about his business. Um, but his course from here is decent, and and I think it's a really good course for him. So, um, seventy nine hundred. We talk about winning upside. I think he's got that as well now. 
Um, and then Kevin Na, I mean, we've I've kind of already touched upon it. I, he's actually probably my favourite outright bet. See, we were like as well. Um, but he was he does what he does. I was like, he finished top twenty. It's about the best he can do. Tied fourteenth. Um, five top ten finishes here, dating back to 2007, 10th and 4th in two of his last five visits. Um, apparently, I mean, I, I haven't got these metrics in front of me, it's only what I've read, but he was first in Green's regulation last week and strokes gain approach, potentially. Um, I don't know if that's right or not, or whether I've misread those, but that sounds pretty good, and he is a, a short course merchant. Yeah, there's so much to like about him, and um, I was tracking him a lot Sunday as well, and he shot uh 69 was i mean and it was he was he was throwing some darts in there two three ten feet shots better after saturday as well right he shot the 79 yeah. to sort of because he tumbled down that so because obviously i tipped him as top 20 i kind of was was following him quite closely and it's actually interesting that's another reason i quite like these top 20 bets and you said about the top 10 with tommy fleetwood like it actually makes you focus more on that one player and, and really track mm-hmm. what it is that they're doing so i think that's quite uh you know if, if you're just having outright bets you're just like oh if they're not top five after three rounds you don't really care right but if you're tracking these guys to go top 10 top 20 um, i mean we try to look as many as people as we can and obviously when i read out the course form and then try and you know sort of point out these kind of hidden things but it happens with current form as well like people just don't have the time to look at why someone finished 17th as opposed to sixth like right there's yeah. so many factors and uh yeah like you say kevin nah i thought was brilliant on on sunday and anything better on Saturday could have given him a, a, a real good chance of top six, top eight finish. So, which would have been great. So I, I really do like Kevin Nahr and Jason Kokrak. And then, you know, Adam Hadwin, I'm assuming he's going to be pretty popular despite some patchy course form. Way too popular for me. Yeah. Up 17, 18%. Same with Hoagie, about 15, 16. Yeah. I like Hadwin in theory. He actually ranked number one in my model, but uh, right in front of Connors and Berger. But, um, I just, I'm not going to do it at that percentage. I just rather would play Mito Pereira. I would rather play, um, I, I think Fratelli is a sneaky play. I like Fratelli, yeah. We, 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 we seem to be able to talk about Fratelli every point. We might yeah. be the person who talks about Fratelli more than anybody, but, um, and it's normally at 6,800 or whatever, and it's a little bit higher this week, but for good reason. I think, you know, he's showing some good stuff. It's a good course for him. I like Tom Hoagie, I like Adam Hadwin, but again, the ownership's high enough for me to be put off. Even when it came to the outright for Hadwin, I picked Siwoo Kim over him. Like I just I just believe in Siwoo Kim a lot more and, and happy to pay up on, on the drafting side of things as well. Um, Kevin Strillman's getting a little bit of buzz from, from the things that I've sort of heard and read. I don't know if that's kind of translated into ownership, but um, you know, it kind of makes sense. I think from a pure motivation standpoint, and, and I don't like to buy into his narrative too much because, but Ian Poulter's got a lot to play for. Like he he's so accustomed to being at those majors, being those WGCs, even when he's not in form, he's just a guy that you just see him every. You, you just forget how he's even qualified for these things because he's just there every year. Um, and he wasn't at the Masters. And if if you track Instagram and things like that, that it bothered him. Like he was joking it off and laughing it off, but it, you could see it affected him. And you know his his form going in didn't necessarily suggest that he was playing well enough to, to grab that last spot and he didn't do it in Texas at all, didn't even make the cut but to me I, I think Ian Poulter still just pops at any time, there's nothing he's going to say in the model back Ian Poulter unless he has one of those like kind of real hot streaks but last four or five years he's had three top 14 finishes so I thought Ian Poulter was a decent play 
I, I, I'm with you on a lot of that. I, I think that's right. With that being said, he's just volatile for me. I, I played him at Valero, and he, he burned me. And I think Fratelli is going to be lower owned than him, and he's in much better form. And he was eighth here in 2020 in that good field. Yeah. And and then you got Troy Merritt. I'm seeing <laughs> four four 4% on Merritt, and I'm shocked by that because he's been popular the past three weeks. What has he done to make people go away from him? He finished fourth at Valero. He... Um, was third here in 2015 and 10th in 2019. And he's coming off a 27th and a 4th in his last two weeks, and now no one's owning him anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird because I guess the lot, if, if you're just taking a very short view on him, the last two starts here in miscut 70th, but before that, 10th and 3rd. Um, and, and Troy Merritt is a different beast this year than he has been, maybe even the last two seasons, I guess, um, than he has been in the past, but he's been really. I mean, we've. I think we've played quite a lot of Troy Merritt over over a few weeks and at lower prices even than this. But 16th, 15th, 28th, 22nd. Um, you know, I think it was fourth at Pebble Beach, 38th. You know, it's just been solid. 27th and fourth last two weeks. I like I like Troy Merritt a lot. If he's lower owned than than Ian Poulter, um, then yeah, then definitely put Troy Merritt in there because. Um, yeah, I think that's been overlooked a little bit. And the other guy as well, I don't know how it's translating to his ownership, but in terms of the outright, I've heard nothing on JJ Spawn at 100 to 1 because I, I'm just assuming people don't think he can win twice in a year. And I I, I get that, and I, I probably agree to an extent, and my bet is more on an each way basis as opposed to an outright win. But um, I think he's been overlooked. I think he, he did nothing at the Masters last week that kind of suggested that. He's going to have a winning hangover. And when you look back before his kind of misdiagnosis of diabetes, which is what derailed him for so long, he was actually pretty consistent. Like you look at his OWGR things in 2017, 2018, he was just in contention a lot, finishing high up in decent fields as well. So um, I really like JJ Spawn at what I'm hoping is going to be a lower ownership than what I had in my head. Um, it probably isn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you look at between 7,000 and 7,500, the two highest owned guys here are JJ Spawn, 8.7% right now, and, and Munoz at around 8%. It's not I, debilitating by I, any means. I think that's fine. Like, I actually yeah, yeah. think that is lower than it should be. Like, mm-hmm. I, I generally think that's people not believing that he can do it again. And that you don't, you, I don't need him to win. Top 20 is fine. Like, and, and I really think that is kind of what he's going to do. I mean, I think it was, was he third here in the past? I know he's been. Uh, in contention, let me just bring it up here. Uh, I did have it written down somewhere. Uh, it's been a long time since I was looking at JJ Spawn as a real sneaky contender, but um, I got it sixth place. There you go. So that's what I mean. Like he he's been there in the past. Like I I don't think that's kind of. I think people just think it was a flash in the pan, and I don't think that's the case with JJ Spawn. Like even before his win, he was kind of having two or three good rounds. I always looked at him in the first round leader market a lot. Um, I think there's a lot to like about JJ Spawn. I think a lot of what you're saying is is right. Um, but I am going to be in the camp of thinking that he's not going to repeat. And I, a guy like that who went so long without a win, I think it's not just that he that he can't win twice in a row, because I, I think he can't. Or, But I think it's that a guy like that, once they finally get that monkey off their back, they seem to exhale a bit and maybe take their foot off the gas. Well, the, the worry is because the, the the reason my thought process against that was how well he played at the Masters and would he just be happy to be there? And But I guess mm-hmm. you, you get that extra focus for one extra week and then he goes, okay, now I can enjoy it. Like I've, I've got the Masters out of the way. 
finished 23rd there. I, just, I was just so impressed with what he done last week. I just, I just thought he was really, really good. You know, you know, 12 bogeys, one double, but 11 birdies, 48 pars. Like, I thought it was really solid on a Masters debut. So, it, yeah, yeah. You, you, you just don't know. You don't know whether he's going to go. I can take a break now, or he's going to go right. Let's ride this wave. Um, mm -hmm. Because he's, yeah. cap he's capable of it, is what what I think. Um, Absolutely. Other than that, in the seven k range, there's, I'm guessing Eric Van Royen is going to appeal to some people. Um, I thought Charles Howard Thurber was interesting at seventy one hundred. He's the only guy in the in the low sevens I have starred here, so we're on the same page on that one. Um, he was fourth at Valero in his last two starts. He's gained four point three and three point two on approach. 18th here last year, rounding into form. I don't think he's capable of winning, but I do think he's capable of a top 20, and I think he's actually pretty much as safe as it could get down in this range. Yeah, and I mean, look, people, if, for as long as I've been writing about golf, which is a decade, like I've been saying that Charles Howe is not capable of winning anymore because he never did when he really should have done. Do you know what I mean? Like He lost four playoffs. Um, he, he was really, really bad. And then he won in 2018 at the RSM, and that kind of went, oh, and then he fell off a cliff. And I think people are still thinking about that Charles Adderfeld that, that, that fell off a cliff. And, and I get that. That's that's fine. But when you look, like 33rd Mike Ober, 16th RSM, 36th Sony, 25th Amex, couple of missed cuts at the Phoenix and the Honda, right back in it, 32nd and 4th last two starts. Uh, final round 78, Bay Hill obviously dropped him down a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I like what he's doing. And like you say, I don't actually think there's many safer than him, especially in the in the right of the low sevens, higher sixes. I agree. That's yeah. I'm I'm definitely gonna be playing a good amount of them. Any others that you wanted to talk about, even just to, from a fading perspective, as opposed to actually picking? Well, well, one that I was borderline on liking or not liking um, was Scott Stallings. Mm -hmm. um, two stock, 16, 13. The problem is the stats really haven't been grazed, and mostly with the putter. I don't know if that's something he's trending towards something, or I don't know if it's just a couple of good weeks. Scott Storling is just hard, isn't it, right? Scott Storling is just hard to get right. I think he, you know, we talk about volatility about a lot of people. He's been volatile his whole career. He's never really been a consistent guy. and hes I would say he's one guy that if he gets in the hunt after 36 or 54, if he makes that cut, he's live. Like, he, yep. he's, he's really good. So um, I would say from that perspective, I think he's worth playing. But I think that there is some value to it if you if you needed to shoehorn a guy in at seven k or seven one. Um, obviously, we'd rather go to Charles Howell, but he's there as well. Six k then we'll wrestle through those. Danny Willett, I thought was interesting at sixty nine hundred. Played well at the Masters. Played well, um, you know, before that actually probably played better at the Masters. Held on longer than perhaps I thought he would. Bay Hill not great, but fifty second, forty eighth at the Honda. It is. It is volatile, and even at like the Corrales, where he shot third round 75 to kind of take himself out in 36th place, but there's been probably more good than bad over this season, like in terms of what Danny's, Danny Willett's been like over the last couple of years, um, so I kind of like him. I do too. I like that he was 18th here last year. I think that's probably a good sign, um, and I, I, I agree with you on the match. I thought he was going to go away like very early on Saturday, and he kind of stuck around. Um, for a good amount of time, but Volatil is right. I I could see him shooting, you know, himself out of it in the first yeah. eight holes. Yeah, it, it so could be over. I, I'm worried about playing him, but I, I did have him start, and I do like him. But and he's going 1.7 percent owned right now, so. Like I, I just I just think it's if you want a last guy in and you want to do it 
on low ownership, he's the guy. Like, I, I don't, I have no faith, but I mean, the only time I've ever had faith in Danny Willett was when he won St Andrews and it was 100 to 1. So that's as different you need to know about Danny Willett. But he's the kind of person that can ruin a lineup, but he's also the kind of guy that could win you a week because 1.87, and he can, he can contend. Like, this is mm-hmm. not out of the realms of possibility. And a tied 10th, tied 12th finish is really good for him as well. I'm probably yeah, I'm probably going to play him. There's another guy right near him that I'm thinking of in the same type of way is is Brant Snedeker, who I don't know if he's back. I I think probably not. But he gained six strokes on approach. He lost 5.2 putting when he was in contention at Bolero, and which is the opposite of what you usually yeah, expect from him. That, that's not Brant Snedeker, right? And and it was really I was in New York that week, right? So I I didn't play and I didn't bet or anything. Um, but I kind of looked at it and thought, you know, Brant Snedeker's got a nice track record at Texas. Maybe he just kind of halts this and goes back to what he did at the Amex. And he did. Like, and I, I got nothing out of it because it wasn't worth anything. But, and he shot a spine around 75, couldn't follow it up, which, again, he's another guy that was used to being in the Masters every year. And, and he just wasn't. And, you know, I, I think, and you, just when you look at 36 only, 14th Amex, I guess Tory Pines is a little bit alarming. I guess Pebble Beach is a little bit alarming, but otherwise, I don't. Nothing else really bothers me that much. So, um, low ownership, decent price. I do like him. Bo Hostler was another one I thought at six eight hundred was interesting. Only thing with Bo that worries me is those irons can just get so loose. Yeah. And I know you didn't really watch much on Sunday, but it was scary. Like every time he, he went through his backswing, you're like, you don't know if this is going to be within four feet or. <laughs> 50 yards right of the green. His swing yeah. was so inconsistent. Every time he took the club back, it was a different swing. And at a place where you have to be so precise, second smallest greens on tour, that's probably the reason why I'm not going to play him. Yeah, I think for me it was like, that was probably what put me off winning because I don't think he can win in an outright ticket. But I think just he could probably just perform as he has been and pay off his 6-8 price tag, right? Yeah. Um, other than that, like I thought JT Postum was interesting. Like, I think, you know, he's played well here in the past, plays well at Pete Dye stuff or similar short tracks, made the cut of the Valera and the Honda. He isn't playing like he has been in the past, but even at the Amex, he was 25th. He's scary, a little bit volatile, but I think that's the, the order of the day in this 6K range. I think we've got a, a pretty solid 7K range and no real need to go too far down with this, which makes me not want to take them. Yeah, I actually have a couple more guys I wanted to talk about here because first one is Charles. 0.7% ownership, <laughs> and I last week, like it was tee to green. Um, he played he awesome. Swung it, I, nice, yeah. Yeah, and it, it was like, man, I, I thought he might get a little price bump off of that, but 6,600 in this field, and I thought um, maybe he can carry some good vibes. A lot of him, he talked a lot about in his interviews about just that confidence being gone from missing all those cuts in a row. Like you have to expect to get some confidence again. He played really well last year in the Florida swing, so I think maybe he can, might get something going. Um, is that just too too dangerous? It's dangerous, but I agree, actually, because I, I sort of tweeted out, I think it was either Saturday or Friday, sort of saying, I hope this kind of led to an increase because he's such a good player. He's got such a nice swing, and he was 12th here on debut. He was third after 54 holes, even when he was kind of 41st two years ago. He finished 67, 66, 69. Like he, he played well other than the, the first day, and the, the missed cuts weren't great, but he shot 67 the second day on the first missed cut, so... I think I think he can sneak through, like especially at low ownership. Like if you want, if you want to take some chances, I would probably make a lineup where 
you have Charles and Willett or you know Charles and Snedeker or whatever and just take some shots at the top and give yourself that chance to play those kind of 10k heavy builds if you want to but um, I wouldn't want to put him in the kind of balanced lineups that we've been sort of discussing at the start well the only counterpoint to that is say if you have the Connors um, you know the Fitz Connors uh, Berger whoever those that really chalky lineup and then you have a guy like Charles or Sneds who gets in the top five, and that differentiates from all those other lineups that have those same yeah. start. Um, so that's something I, I would definitely consider. The next one I looked at was uh, was Stenson. <laughs> I love Henrik Stenson. I always look for reasons to play him. Um, but he's been, last two, two weeks, 57th and 18th, gaining strokes across the board for the most part. And I know his course history isn't great, but shouldn't it be? Well, I, I so I actually put him up for a top twenty on the Lost Words podcast, uh, the betting podcast, because, like you said, just the same reasons you put there. Like it should be a great course for all, wasn't and wasn't, but he shot a couple of decent rounds when he missed the cut, um, and the form at the tail end of last season, he, he kind of got hot. And the the interesting thing now is, is he going to play well with the Ryder Cup considerations, or is it just going to debilitate him? Like you just you just don't really know, but. Um, just yeah, I think it's a course that should be good for him, like you said, and there's no reason to think he can't carry on what he's done over the last two starts, which is like you said, 57th and 18th, and even before that, like he wasn't missing cuts by much. Like he wasn't he wasn't awful like he has been. Like he was 73, 71 at Honda, 73, 76 Bay Hill, Paris 73s at the Players, which was notoriously difficult. Like I think that's fine. I think he's a he's a really good low-end play just for high upside if you want it because I do think he's the type of guy that people are going to be looking for Luke Donald to do the same like if they get in the hunt they could probably contend and um, I don't know if either of them can win anymore but I, I do think if, if, if that's choose between the two it would be Stenson because he's done it recently and not that long ago and won a major yeah he won the Hero World Challenge like a year and a half ago yeah um, And but you know my question why hasn't he played this course very much just doesn't need to, I guess. Like, and then why is he playing it now? No idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's because he's found something. Yeah, like maybe, maybe he's pretty happy with what he's got and uh, and wants to test himself. Maybe he's looking at a couple of the Ryder Cup guys because you know if it's Patrick Fleetwood, Lowry, and that are here. Um, I, I really don't know. Ian Poulter's is here, obviously, as well. I guess just having those guys and all just getting on the plane and. I don't know. Maybe it's just a jolly up. It's it's really hard to know, but yeah, I, I think if I and again I could put him up for a top twenty. I just think he can make the cut and, and have a couple of good rounds. The other one I thought was interesting was Kadira, like sixty four hundred. Obviously a previous winner here, thirty fifth at Puerto Rico, thirty third Pebble Beach, twelfth at Sony Open. Bad at the Honda, disappointing when he dropped down to the Corn Ferry, but. I thought it was a decent price, 6400 for someone that had shown form earlier in the season, has won here in the past. Yeah, makes some sense. Um, I, I, I start a different agent, $100 cheaper in Kanaya, just because of he missed the cut at the Masters, but he was first in approach when he missed the cut. So his irons were really good. Um, I think maybe take some pressure off and put an iron in his hand off the tee. Maybe that helps him out a bit. Talk about volatile. He's never made a cut off in America. <laughs> so... So that's, that's definitely a dangerous one. Um, and then last guy I have here, and this is a very, very sneaky one. I, I don't think you're going to hear anyone else mention, mention this, or maybe I'm wrong, but Roger Sloan. <laughs> um, second at Wyndham last year, 
Okay, so you look at the course correlation there. Uh, he's, I don't want to say he's back to playing well now, but he gained a stroke on approach uh, in his last start. He was 14th at Amex this year, which is a Pete Dye, Pete Dye course. Um, and he's all the way down at 6,200. Can really open up a lot of what you can do. Um, just one of those random guys who might be able to get in the mix a little. Some, some things pointing to that being a possibility. Yeah, I mean, I went for a little stage of I can't quit Roger Sloan and kept putting him up, and Wyndham was obviously one of them, uh, where he was second, and that paid off nicely as an each way. And I actually thought he played really well. for He was good value for what he did, right? I don't think he was, you know, let himself down in any way, shape, or form. And then he was 14th for the Amex. Um, again, the the Pete Dye design, like you said, 53rd at Texas last time out, 55th at the Honda. Like the reason these guys are down this range is because you have no idea which one of them is going to turn up, right? That that's just why they're here. They're 6K in a weak field. Um, but you know, I think there's better 6K or low 6K players than others, um, and and the ones we've mentioned probably are. Um, I know people are probably going to Svensson in this range as well, maybe, but. I'm kind of out on him for a little bit. He's he's kind of disappointed. Um, and then it's just volatility. I wonder what Joseph Bramlett's going to be like. Um, I think he got in last minute. Is, is he? I don't know if he's listed here yet. What's his price? Uh, he's 6,500. 6,500. What about late... the pee drinker? Anyone going to play him? Yeah. <laughs> I was interested to see what happens. I mean, if it's strokes gained... How much piss can you drink? He might he might win. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what he looks like on a golf course. Um, it's kind of a cool story, actually. Um, if anyone hasn't read that about Morgan Hoffman, go and do that. Um, but yeah, I, I think he'll probably live up to his 6K price range this week uh, as he kind of acclimatizes to being back in real life for a while. Yeah, to answer your question, nobody's playing Joey B. Mm, I probably won't either, but I just thought it was a, it was a name that was down there that was worth mentioning um let, let's recap then let's recap our favorite plays uh above the 10k range for you is it morikawa yes but i'm not sure i'm playing him no so i, I i'm gonna go dj because i think a win's come in and i think he's actually played well here in the past without maybe people realizing um 9k range i'm gonna it's... go daniel Berger. Yeah, so I can see why you like Daniel Berger and, and you've kind of sold me on him, so I'm going to play more of him than, than I was planning to. Um, I'll go Shane Lowry, but it's, it's very, very obvious. Um, 8K range? Um, I'm going to go with Billy Ho. Yeah, I like Billy Ho. I'm going to go with Siwoo Kim. I, I think I think the, the winning upside is just so high. Um, I, I really like that. 7k this is a really tough one i think it is tough um now nah, gonna be the obvious one how popular is now i don't think we've touched upon that not as popular as i thought i'm seeing nine percent and i think it's one of those things where everyone has that narrative either he's the type of guy just bet him to win don't play him on DraftKings because he's yeah and but he he's he's that guy that pays off like that right like he pays off even in the betting market i don't think he's ever respected as much as he should be um no. so i would probably go in now at that at that ownership but i do think that because he's higher owned, because people don't think he can win, that that JJ Spawn's going to be, you know, off-putting to some people. But I would say stick with him and, and keep the faith because I like what he's doing. Six K range then for you. Six K range. I'm gonna say, hmm, I'm gonna go with um, Snedeker. One guy we didn't touch upon was Hudson Swafford, who led the 
field in strokes again approach, I think it was, or, or T screen, one of the two, uh, the Valero, and, and is playing pretty solid. Um, I'm trying to remember what Hudson Swafford has done here in the past. 33rd, 44th, and then three miscuts, so nothing special. But if he can just keep that ball striking up, that would be an interesting one as an extra snippet. But to go back to, to my favourite play, I'm going to go Danny Willett. I think he's. I think he could uh, pay off. So, yep. Yeah, I think that's us done for the the heritage. I think we kind of agree that maybe the, the more balanced builds the way to go rather than diving into the, you know, stars and scrubs approach as they call it. But another really unique event because it plays right after the major. I think it probably deserves its own spot in the schedule rather than playing second fiddle to a major. But it's got a good field without really you know any casualties. I thought there'd be some withdrawals today and there wasn't. Yeah, I, I love this course. I love this event. I've had a lot of success here. Hit a couple winners here. Had some good DraftKings lineup here. I get really good vibes here. Uh, one of my favorite courses on tour, and I like that. Uh, I think you just get so much value both in the betting market and on DraftKings this week because everything is priced based on those five studs showing up. And I think if you put them all at Harbortown, they do not have an advantage over the guys like the Kisners, the Horschels, the Burgers of the world. So I think there's value to be had, and I, I'm going all in this week with a lot of stuff. Yep, no, I love that. I, I completely agree with that. I think there, there is a couple of people that are just completely right off at the top of the market. So uh, when you can do things like that, that's always really positive. So, Matt, thank you as everybody, and um, we'll catch up again in a week. All right, have a good week. Mm-hmm.